0: Heavenly Father, help us to be available to you. You've done so much for us. You're always available for us. Help us to come to you, to make ourselves available to you, to your service, to your church. Help us to make that decision today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It's hard to believe that it's been eight years since this church was started. And as I think back, it wasn't the smartest decision that we ever made to start a church on the 4th of July weekend. And actually, when I think back, it wasn't the idea to start a church on the 4th of July weekend. We actually started with the idea that it was going to be a soft launch on the 4th of July weekend. The actual real start wasn't going to be until August, but apparently the word got out and people started showing up. I mean, so we actually started in July. We weren't really going to start until August, but people started showing up. So then we just said, hey, why not? Let's just start in July. But it's hard to believe it's been eight years. But here we are. 1996, a lot longer than eight years ago, an epic comedy came out in 1996. Now, it is, it is not Sabbath appropriate, so do not go home and watch this movie. Kingpin. An epic comedy came out in 1996. The hero of the movie was Woody Harrelson, a bowler. I think that there's an epic comedy about bowling is another comedy in and of itself. But his, his bowling career cut short, literally, when his hand gets cut off. But he reaches out to an Amish youth played by Randy Quaid to convince him to step out of the Amish community to, to experience the world outside and by running with a group of professional bowlers and leading a life of debauchery. Really, that movie takes parts of the premise from a piece of Amish history. Rum Springer. Rumspringa literally means running around. And it's a word used to describe an Amish practice of allowing their youth to sow their wild oats, as it were. Now, not every Amish community does this. But the ones that do allow this freedom for teenagers between ages 14 and 16... And the freedom grants these teenagers permission to leave the community, to go out on the weekends, and to experience the world outside in whatever way they choose. And it comes with an understanding that when the youth come back, they have a choice to make. They can choose baptism and to live within the Amish church. Or they can leave the community permanently, turn their back on their family, and choose to live out in the world for good. Now, as I look around this room today, I think I'm safe to say that few, if any of us, are Amish. But that hasn't stopped us from engaging in some rumspringas of our own hasn't. We just have different names for it. Might be freshman year, <laughs> spring break, midlife crisis. Perhaps some of us are in a rumspringa type of time right now. Been running around, experimenting a little here and there. But let me ask you this question. How's it working for you? We're in the second week of a series called Finding Your Way Back to God. And as I mentioned, the eighth anniversary of TAF, if you've been around this church for any length of time, you know that we are all about helping people find their way back to God. This series is not just about helping people choose Jesus for the first time, because we know that finding your way back to God is an ongoing journey. It's a relationship that has its peaks and its valleys. Time after time, we find ourselves wandering away from home. Over and over again, we turn our backs on God in our community, in hopes of finding something better. Again and again, we find ourselves in a state of rumspringa. Finding your way back to God is a life-changing moment, for certain. But it's also a life-growing process. There are five different awakenings that we're going to focus on in this series. And these five awakenings show up in a book by Dave and John Ferguson upon which this series is based. Last week, we talked about that first awakening. Awakening to longing. This awakening is all about those universal longings that we all have for love, purpose, and meaning. And it's these longings that give us that restless feeling that there's got to be more to this life. Unfortunately, too often, we take those God-given longings and look to fulfill them apart from God. We begin to chase after things that, that bring us fulfillment that we think will bring us that fulfillment that we're after. In relationships, money, career, pleasure, whatever it is. And sometimes this chase leads us to make decisions that we never would have imagined that we would make. And inevitably, what we thought would bring fulfillment falls short. And we find ourselves saying something like, man, I wish I could start over. Which brings us to the second awakening. Awakening to regret. Have you ever been there? at a place where you just wish you could start over? Wouldn't it be great if you could just do, get a do-over, a mulligan, go back to where we made that ridiculous decision and take it all back and begin again? I've been there. My guess is that you've been there too. Some of you may be there right now. As, as I mentioned, this entire series is based around the story of the prodigal son. And I want to spend some time this morning and read you the, a big chunk of that story to, to kind of lay the groundwork for the story. So here it is. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Today, I want to focus on just two verses from that larger section. One particular section of this story, and these are the two verses I want to focus on. Verses 17 and 18. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Two pieces of this story. When he came to his senses, and I will go home to my father. When he came to his senses, the son was experiencing this second awakening. The first was longing for something more, for, for, that there had to be something more to life than just eating and working and watching Netflix and doing it all again the next day. There has to be purpose and meaning for life. So the son sets out for that distant land and attempts to find that something more, but he winds up wasting his entire inheritance that he received from his father. He's so broke, he can't even buy a single plate of food. And that's when that second awakening happens. The awakening to regret. And that's where the story turns. He comes to his senses. However long he was gone, whatever he did, he finally woke up. Have you ever been there? At the tail end of a bad decision, your friends, your family member, your spouse, your co-workers have all been praying for you to come to your senses. Maybe they've even confronted you, sat you down, explained in vivid detail how your life is spinning out of control, but you didn't want to hear any of it. Despite all of the warnings, you didn't see it. We think we're going in the right direction. We think everyone else is crazy. That we're right, they're wrong. But then one day, we finally wake up. We finally come to our senses. And you look behind you at all of the wreckage you left in the wake of your bad decisions. And you're filled with regret. We can't find our way back to God until we come to our senses and wake up. Coming to our senses and acknowledging that our decisions have taken us to places that we could have never imagined is the first step to a new life. Richard Rohr wrote it this way. He said, You cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. And what you do not consciously acknowledge will remain in control of you from within, festering and destroying you and those around you. Many of us know this truth all too well. Maybe today is a wake-up call for some of us. It's time to acknowledge our life is heading in a direction that's a far cry from what we want it to be. Maybe today the Rumspringer is over and it's time to come home. See, that's the second piece that we'll focus on because the son didn't just come to his senses, he made a decision to set out and to go back to his father. He made the decision to go home. And this second piece is just as critical as the first. What the son did by going back to see his father was what some of us would call repentance. Now, repentance gets a bad rap because the church has done a pretty bad job of explaining what it means. We only seem to hear the word repent in connection with our eternal destiny. And repentance has been used as a scare tactic for hundreds of years. But today, I'd would, I would like to try and set the record straight. See, there are two words for repentance used in the Bible. One in the Greek, one in the Hebrew. In the Greek, the word is metanoia. In the, in the Hebrew, it's teshuva. Let me kind of show you what those two words actually mean in their original language. Metanoia in the Greek is to change one's mind. Teshuva in the Hebrew is to return. So repentance means to change your thinking and to return from where you came. When Jesus tells this story, he says the son finally came to his senses and decided to return to his father. He repented that returning to his father. My guess is that a lot of us have come to our senses over the years. We recognize that the decisions that we have made have led us to places where we, regret, where we have woken up with regret Maybe they were financial decisions, maybe they were relational ones, or they were decisions we made in the moment that made us feel good, even though we knew in the moment that they were wrong. And we've woken up to regret many, many times. But we've never made it to that second step of returning home. We want the change. We want the start over, we want that do over. But shame, guilt, and a healthy dose of fear stands in our way. Questions like, will they accept me? Will they take me in? Could God ever forgive someone like me? These are some of the questions that run through our head. So rather than returning home, we go back to this never-ending cycle of longing and regret. Some of us have been stuck in that cycle for years. But all of that can change today. Our prayer is that you can find your way back to God. We have a loving Father who can't wait For each and every one of us to come home. For many of us, that moment of drawing a line in the sand and putting a stake in the ground is baptism. It's It's a moment when we publicly say, I'm coming home. Now, baptism doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that you won't wander away again. But it doesn't mean, but it does mean you're coming home and home is where you want to stay. Last week, I introduced you to something called Pascal's Wager. Sort of a bet where we're challenging everyone to place with God a bet that he is real and that he loves you. And today, I want to take that Pascal's Wager to the next step. I want to challenge every single person to pray a prayer today. And it's this prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the possibility that with you, I can start over again. Can we all just pause for a second right now and just Whether you're in this room or online, can we just pause and can we all silently pray that prayer right now? See the story of the prodigal son, it's your story. It's my story. It's all of our stories. And I want to close today by reading you a retelling of the prodigal son story. This time by the author Philip Yancey. And I want you to listen in this version of the story an invitation from God himself whispering, come home. Today can be the day that you come to your senses. Today can be the day that you decide to return to come home. See, here's the story. Her name is Krista. She grew up in a small cherry farm in Traverse City, Michigan. She was a wild child who dismissed her parents as old-fashioned for how they responded to her piercings and tattoos. One night, Krista and her parents had a huge fight. At the end of it, she slammed the door and said, I hate you, then acted on a plan she had been rehearsing for months in her mind. She ran away to the big city of Detroit. Within a few hours of arriving in Detroit, she met a man who seemed warm and nice. He drove the most expensive car she had ever seen, and he was willing to take her in. Now, this nice man taught her a few things that would make her valuable on the streets. And because Crystal was young, she brought in top dollar for her services. As time went on and as she got a little bit older... She wasn't bringing in top dollar anymore. So she was thrown out on the street with no money but a drug habit to support. One night, she thought back to those sunny spring days when she would be lying underneath a cherry tree. Realizing that renting her body out on the streets of Detroit was no way to live, she decided that she would head north, maybe move to Canada to start over. On her way north, she decided that she'd try something that she thought had no chance of actually working. She mustered up enough courage to give her parents a call. Now, no one answered, but she left them a message telling them that she'd be passing through Traverse City on her way to Canada. And if they wanted to see her, she would be at the bus station around midnight. After hanging up, she thought leaving that message was stupid. It was stupid because the odds were that they were probably happier now that she was gone. As the bus, as the bus headed north, she could see the sign saying that the bus was getting closer to Traverse City. She ran through the possible scenarios in her mind. Nobody would be there to meet her. Somebody would be there, but, but only to shame her, to condemn her. Finally, the bus arrived in Traverse City. And she heard the bus driver say, 15 minutes at this stop, 15 minutes. All her mental rehearsing didn't prepare her for what she found when she stepped off the bus. At midnight in this small town bus depot, she found dozens of familiar faces belonging to aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents, all wearing silly party hats, A huge banner hanging from the walls said, Welcome home, Krista. Her dad broke through the crowd, ran up to her, and as she tried to explain herself, he wrapped his arms around her, making it clear that all he really cared about was that his daughter was home. Heavenly Father, thank you that no matter what we do, no matter the mistakes we make, no matter how far away we try to run away from you, you are always there watching for us to come to our senses. To come to our senses and to make that journey home. All we have to do is start the journey and you're ready to willing and able to accept us home. You're there waiting for us to hold us in your arms, to wrap a robe around us, put a ring on our fingers, to give us new sandals, to throw a party. No matter what we've done, we always have a home with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.